Welcome to A Minister, a Priest, and a Rabbi Walk Into a Radio Station. I'm Dr. Pandora Carlucci, and I'm joined by Reverend Kathy McAdams, Rabbi Tom Alpert, and Reverend Eric Cherry. Usually, Jay Horrigan and I co-host, but Jay is absent this morning, so bear with us, and we'll do our best to keep the conversation going. For those of you listening for the first time, we gather once a month, and we have a discussion on a selected topic, and we use faith as the lens to guide our discussion. But before we jump into today's topic, I wanted to give our faith leaders an opportunity to introduce themselves. We're going to begin with Reverend Kathy McAdams, and she'll tell you uh, a little bit about her congregation and how things are going these days. Reverend Kathy. Thanks, Pandora. I'm Kathy McAdams. I'm the priest at St. John's Episcopal Church here in Franklin. And um, we had a lovely Easter celebration. We had a drive-in service where people actually, it was like a drive-in movie. They, they drove their cars in. Uh, we had the altar set up outside. Uh, we used an FM transmitter so people could listen on their radios. And a few folks actually got out of their cars and sat in chairs because it was such a nice day. So it was, that was wonderful. We've now moved our service outside on the lawn and asked people to bring their own chairs. On Earth Day, several member congregations of the Interfaith Council planted seven trees together in Franklin with the help of the DPW, and we'll continue to water those trees and nurture them until they're well-established. So uh, that was really fun to, to get together in person, even though it was a very cold day. It was. Do you know where they planted the trees or where one one of the trees might be? Yeah, there are two at the high school, three at the Horace Mann Middle School, one at Keller Sullivan School, and one at the Community Garden. Well, that's great. I just thought people might want to kind of check them out and, and see, and it's, uh, I think that's a nice activity on so many levels, not only the fact that you're planting a tree, but that it was through the Interfaith Council, so you had people from all different walks. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun, and people of all ages as well. I keep getting reports from the people who are watering that, um, you know, they're watching the leaves come out and, and how the trees are developing even just in this last couple of weeks. So that's really fun. I think that's great. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Reverend Kathy. Uh, Rabbi Tom, do you want to... Uh, Give us an update and how things are going uh, with your congregation. Love to. Hi, I'm Tom Alpert. I'm the rabbi at Temple Etz Chaim here in Franklin. And uh, boy, a lot of things. Um, we finished uh, the holiday of Passover, uh, which was a you know, wonderful communal event. We're moving up to the holiday of Shavuot, which is the, uh, in English, Pentecost, uh, and in Jewish tradition is the holiday of the giving of the Torah. So, uh, and it's marked by all night study sessions. So we're joining with several congregations in Metro West. And by the way, anybody who wants to can uh, uh, join in. We're starting this study at uh, five o'clock this Sunday night, and uh, we're going to continue. We won't do it all night. We're continuing on till 11 anyway. Uh, so uh, it's good. There are going to be some great programs. So, you know, we're marking Shavuot. Uh, traditionally, in, in Reformed congregations around Shavuot, we also do Confirmation, which is our, our uh, 
graduation program for our religious school. And we have uh, a couple of confirmation uh, uh, confirmands coming up for uh, uh, confirmation a, a week from Friday night. So uh, that's going to be special. Let's see, two other things. Um, just on a personal note, I had the, the great experience of uh, being asked to be on a panel for uh, faith leaders about the uh, proposal for universal free school meals, which uh, is a legislative proposal that has been endorsed by uh, our state representative, Jeffrey Roy, and uh, 99 co-sponsors. Um, and uh, I was, and we were, so we were speaking to faith leaders from around the uh, the state, and I was uh, pleased to see that one of the people working on it with me on this panel was uh, Katie Noons from uh, Reverend Cherry's uh, church from the First Universalist Society. So Franklin pretty much has this thing down. I just want to point out, we are the place to be. The other thing I wanted to share is that uh, we're just starting to look at, uh, at reopening issues for all kinds of things as things start to open up. But we were able to have our first principally in-person outdoor bar mitzvah this past Saturday. We uh, uh, were off-site. It was lovely. It was a little chilly, but we made it work. And um, I was just so blown away by how nice it was to actually be with people you know, in person, that everyone was be, we were all being good, everyone wore masks, we were keeping distance, uh, but it was just, there's, there's something special about that. And so it was a joy to share that. I think it's nice to hear that there is, there are these small steps taking back, taking us back to the new normal as we transition from a video technology platform like Zoom to being outside, either sitting in our cars or sitting in chairs or standing. And then maybe as time goes on, we will be inside together. But uh, so it's, it's nice to see that, that common thread. It's also nice to hear about the um, support for um, food security for everyone. Uh, I was in a different meeting and heard Katie Noon speak about this particular panel, and that that is excited, exciting to see that thread of support in our community. It's good to see it anyway, but it's nice to know that it takes place here as well, and there is strong representation. So uh, thank you for uh, being on that panel and and doing that. And um, Reverend Eric, as we go around, are you all gathering outside or how are you taking these new steps at uh, the uh, First Universalist? Thanks so much, Pandora. Well, I, I guess what I want to say is that I'm really grateful to my colleagues and for all of our people for the care and the patience that we've shown and the kind of prioritizing of safety. And um, that's still where we are at FUSF is prioritizing safety, taking slow and careful steps. Um, but I have to say that I, I think we are getting so very, very close to, um, to the new normal. Um, and our, the metrics that we're watching are you know, things like the transmission rate and um, ICU capacity. And there's like five or six of these that we're tracking and they are all getting so close. And as soon as they have met the marks that we've set, we'll uh, have a um, an, an indoor reopening date at the meeting house uh, three weeks later and can hardly wait for that to happen. In the meantime, some of the uh, kind of um, 
things that have been happening is uh, we celebrated coming of age, which is uh, the confirmation process for uh, for our congregation just after Easter um, and had kind of a mix of in-person and virtual aspects to that service. The uh, the the um, the teenagers and their families and um, myself and and um, our director of religious education were together outdoors for kind of the ritual element of of that celebration and uh, then we brought it into a a virtual uh, celebration for the congregation on Sunday morning so we, we we've been doing those kinds of things to kind of uh, have some of the in person experience taking place and our first hybrid uh, worship service is actually taking place this Sunday. There's a, um, we have a tradition of going on retreat to a conference center in, in uh, Saco, Maine every May. And uh, we had to cancel last year, but this year the retreat center is open with restrictions. And uh, so 35 or so of us, which is kind of a small group, but uh, a group nonetheless are, are headed up there and we'll be broadcasting the service live uh, with live music for the first time in a year uh, on Sunday morning, and people will be participating in the service virtually as uh, we, we have been uh, throughout. And, you know, undoubtedly, there are going to be some hiccups, and uh, we'll be learning a lot about, you know, how to do this while we do it, but um, very excited about that. And then on campus on June 20th, we'll be having our first in person and uh, virtual uh, Sunday service. It's a special event for us. It's our annual flower communion service uh, that uh, has its roots from um, the the 1930s. Uh, we're very excited about that, and also expecting that there, you know, will be learning and hiccups that happen along the way. And additionally, I just want to say a word of thanks to Reverend Kathy and to. Uh, Rabbi Tom, the uh, the Earth Day events were really wonderful, and uh, the people from FUSF that participated in the tree planting were so glad to do so. And that Rabbi Tom really invited uh, our community in Franklin and and um, our religious communities, including FUSF, to get on board with the. Um, uh, the lunch, the the lunch for everyone uh, at in schools movement, and um, so we're following there, and really glad to to be to be able to to provide some support. And also, just want to note that um, uh, along with many uh, people of faith, uh, I was on the town green in Hopkinton this past Thursday to hold vigil with the family of Michaela Miller, a 16 year old black girl who. Um, died in mid-April in Hopkinton in uh, kind of uncertain circumstances. And um, one of the key reasons we were there is uh, to support uh, Michaela's family, uh, but also to recognize that there's a thread of uh, of racism that's going through um, this uh, situation. It's uh, quite clear to people who are paying attention that the investigation likely would have followed a very different path if Michaela had been white. And so we're paying attention to that, uh, doing the, uh, the, the, the commitment and action work that's asked of all people to make sure that that's never the case ever again. We're engaged in uh, that marathon work of um, deconstructing racism in, uh, in culture too. Thank you. The last part of your, your sharing was so powerful. It, uh, 
it calls for calls for greater reflection when when you see all that is is going on. It's a very difficult subject. Going back to some of our lighter uh, subjects, I just also thought was nice is the um, thread of sharing among just just among the three of you. But I know it goes out into the community and into the other houses of worship that we do work together. And even on something that there is sharing on the community side with the planting of trees, and then on an important side with food and making certain that everyone has access to food. So there, there is so much going on, and I think so much sharing uh, among the faith leaders in our community and among uh, the members of our community. We have a different topic for today. Our topic is uh, not always easy. It's living and loss. Having uh, someone near to us, a family member or a friend or an acquaintance or someone with whom we might work or share an activity, having them um, uh, die and we lose their presence in our life is never easy. And during these past 14 months of uh, COVID, and isolation and social distancing and all those uh, pivoting buzzwords that have become part of our life, this is much different. It's a different experience. Uh, we, we've all come to experience grief in a different way, either personally or supporting another um, individual and that sense of loss. It's not easy. So today, uh, we were going to talk about some of the rituals, because there are rituals, there are processes, there are things that we do when there is a loss in our lives. And it's part of how we acknowledge, how we work our way through, and, and how we grieve. The general question today is, how, how, are they, how is loss and grief affecting your religious uh, transition and, uh, excuse me, your religious tradition? And... I think I, I, will, I will start with Reverend Cherry because you were the, the very last one to uh, introduce yourself. So I, I kind of will go in the reverse order. We'll start with uh, Reverend Cherry and then to Rabbi Tom and then to Reverend Kathy. But you want to talk about typical ways and rituals that we experience lost and grief and how they've been changing. Thank you, Pandora. And yeah, I just want to acknowledge with you that this is such a tender subject and something that um, uh, religious communities uh, have to do in kind of a uniquely important way uh, to, to companion people through living in loss. And there are some, you know, traditions that all of us follow as part of the ways that we do that. And you know, as I was thinking about it, part of it is um, is a ministry that happens before someone dies, and often there's a kind of a, a a pathway toward the end of life that happens for people, whether in hospice or um, over a long illness. And we're we're involved in kind of the preparation of um, of an upcoming loss with people uh, in important ways. And uh, in pre-COVID times, that was very much about physical presence and and listening and conversation and um and for mo i think for for us and for many of us it's that's had to go through a number of adapt adaptations along the way in our tradition after someone has passed uh the um 
one of the first things that happens is uh, our our lay ministers and lay people in the congregation who are kind of specialists in in care uh, mobilize to provide support to uh, the people who are grieving that is has often been a ministry of presence but also a ministry of presence like um food coming in and and that sort of thing and and uh, there's a a process where we kind of formally announce uh that the death has taken place that grieving is happening and that the congregation has a role as that uh is taking place uh we bring it to sunday worship and a uh, a joys and sorrows um portion of our liturgy uh, our um, ministry team is involved with meeting with the people who are grieving and in the uh, arrangements process, typically with a funeral home uh, to um, set up um, visiting hours, either virtually or previously in person, of course, and to plan for a um, uh, a, um, a memorial service or a funeral. And as I'm sure my colleagues feel that, that process, that, that, that's a, that's a way of acknowledging and, and, um, managing grief in itself. Uh, even if the, the result is to try to get ready for a, um, a public event, um, what's happening is, is really ministry and care, uh, along the way. Uh, which often leads to a um, a funeral, and uh, sometimes that funeral is at a funeral home, sometimes at uh, the meeting house, and these days sometimes it's virtual. Um, and um, often it also leads to a, a burial or a um, a committal of ashes. And uh, in the latter case, there's um, a memorial garden at the FUSF campus where that typically takes place, and where um, uh, people's lives are, are, are memorialized. Beyond that, the, um, the, the kind of ongoing ministry of care uh, is, um, is also a priority for us. And we have a, a, a grief support group that meets twice each month on Sunday afternoons that um, has been especially uh, an important companion for folks during this COVID year. I'm I'm frankly kind of amazed at how how it was able to transition from a gathering in person to a a virtual support group and the people who who are involved in it will testify to how it has helped them go through the some of these most challenging losses. So that's kind of how things work at FUSF. I liked your expression um, ministry of care. Uh, as we reach out to one another in formal and in informal and informal ways, it is interesting to see the different groups that have transitioned from in person to virtual. The mission exceeds uh, the boundaries of where we can gather and allows us then to gather virtually, like as you said, for the support group. And I would think that Rabbi Tom, as you as we listen to what's going on on in the meeting house, and then we, we shift to the temple, I think that there are similar supports and measures and, and processes that are happening. Yes, I think every religious tradition has to deal with death. It is, if we don't, we're really not doing what we are set out to do. And so death happens, and it is therefore a lot, there's a lot of similarity. And yet each tradition speaks with its own phraseology, its own language, and that's useful. The, the, the variety of language makes our world better and the variety of traditions 
for dealing with death and mourning, I think makes our world better. I'll tell you a little bit about uh, some Jewish traditions. It's actually one of my favorite topics. Uh, strangely enough, it really is. Um, and, and I start with a story from the Talmud that says that uh, there were two sages, Rava and Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman was uh, Rava's teacher. And Rava said to his teacher, come and appear to me in a dream after I die. Rav Nachman died, and sure enough, he appears in a dream to Rava. And Rava says to him, what was the process of death like? And he said, it was like taking a hair from milk. It was gentle and peaceful and smooth. And then Rava then continued to ask his teacher, would you come back again to life? And Rav Nachman said, no, under no circumstances, because the fear of death is so great. So it isn't the death itself, it is the fear. And in many cases, that's true. And so I think a lot of what our tradition has been trying to do is to help people with that fear by creating a process and understanding to help send the person who has died away with dignity and to strengthen and support the family uh, as they move back from a kind of uh, nether world where they're neither if you've lost someone, you really are sort of half alive and half dead, and it's moving you back into life. So, so what that consists of, uh, in brief, is um, when someone has died and until uh, they are buried, there's it's it's treated as if they're still with us but can't really do or say anything for themselves so we have to be incredibly thoughtful of their feelings even though they can't, they aren't here to express them so the person uh traditionally is uh, uh, there's a group of uh, people who've trained in this who uh, do a, a bathing of the body and they go over to the funeral home and do that and they have a special and, and that's a is a real uh, calling to have to be have a chance to do that, and uh, the body is prepared um, for a simple burial. Um, cremation has traditionally been frowned on in Judaism. It's starting to get more of a toehold, but you know, burial is still more common. But the person is uh, prepared the uh, until they're they're committed to, into the into the earth. Uh, as I said, there's this kind of uncertain time uh, when when Essentially, for the family, all the, the obligations have, have been taken away. They're just their job is to get through this. At the funeral, uh, one of the traditions is to is a eulogy, which is designed uh, specifically to praise the the person who's gone and to 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 let them leave with that sense of of the greatness and goodness that they've had in the world, uh, which is of course shared with their family. And the process of that is is uh, is therapeutic. After uh, the burial, we have a tradition that the uh, family is essentially to remain in their home for a week, which in Hebrew is Shiva, so it's called the Shiva period. And people don't do it necessarily for a whole week anymore, but the tradition was you would stay. And yes, we have a group at our synagogue called Service of the Heart, whose job is to make sure that people have food for the Shiva. People coming to visit or traditionally, traditionally bring food. Um, the, the, one of the reasons people come to visit is that there's a, you know, there are supposed to be obligations to pray um, uh, daily. 
you're not supposed to leave your your house. So pre-COVID, how would you, you know, presume, how would you pray daily? The congregation would come to you to, for, to get the, the required quorum uh, of people necessary for a prayer service. Um, and so going to, to Shiva was a way to, to comfort the, the mourners and to help them with their obligations. So you know, during COVID time, we've had to do a lot of that virtually, which works, but isn't as great. Traditionally, mourning period then goes on after the Shiva. You can leave the house, but you're still in a mourning period for 30 days. For parents, it's extended to a year. From then on, every year on the anniversary of that person's death, uh, you uh, say Kaddish, which is a, a hymn of praise, a prayer of praise to God, but it's a, also a memorial prayer. You say that for them uh, uh, once a year as a way of remembering. And we try to, uh, it's actually very interesting. We, we encourage people to go to the cemetery on certain times, but not too much because of a feeling that people need to keep their mourning in limits because otherwise it can take completely control you and take you over. So again, this balance between respect for the dead and yet trying to live at the same time, it's very delicate. As I said, uh, during COVID, we've had to do funerals online. We've had to do Shiva online. It's been, uh, it's been difficult, um, but, uh, but we're managing. And I think people are finding uh, comfort in the fact that people care regardless of how we do it. It's interesting. Um, when we do talk about death and dying, it's although it at the center is one individual, it involves so many of us. And those who are grieving, remembering that person and trying to find your footpaths to go forward without their physical presence. But yet, we remember them all the time in our hearts. There are specific days and times when you when you do it more than others, but sometimes it can be um, just an experience, a word said, music that is played that that bring them to heart. I love that you had um, so many of us have attended uh, services in in honor of the deceased and the eulogy given to praise them in a life well lived, and it it helps us. The, those listening to those words that we say, oh, yes, I remember that. I, I remember when he or she uh, did this or received that or how gracious they were at this particular time and what a difference they made. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, I, I wonder how, uh, I think some of this has transitioned to a virtual setting, but I wonder what has, has, has not. And, and that we will only know as as time goes on. Reverend Kathy, I we've listened to two different expressions with the same thoughtful remembrance of the deceased and uh, those grieving, but in very different ways and with a different focus. And I wonder, can you share what's going on and and how that's affected your religious tradition. Sure. And I love what all three of you have said. And I, I wanted to follow on uh, something that Pandora, you just mentioned about funerals. Um, you know, every time I preside at or even just attend a funeral for someone who I may have known fairly well and for a long time, I realize that I'm, I only know them from one perspective or, you know, one aspect of their lives. And all of a sudden you gather people from many different aspects of their lives and you, you, 
see them in a, a fuller way. You start to know them in, in ways that you didn't know them before. And it always makes me leave, I always leave a funeral thinking, gosh, I wish I had known that person better. You know, I wish I had known all these other aspects of their lives as well. So when I'm not at St. John's, the other half of my professional life is to, as a hospice chaplain. And so I spend a lot of time reflecting with people about what they think happens when we die and, you know, what their faith says about that and what their faith says about what's happening to them, their, their illness and their prognosis and trying to help them draw on their faith, whatever it might be. Um, because I, I work with people of all different faiths and no faith at all. Um, so helping them to draw on whatever will give them strength and, and courage at that time. Um, helping to alleviate their fear and their anxiety. Helping them think about priorities for whatever time they have left. Uh, you know, what is most important right now and what's unfinished. And unfinished could be about reconciling relationships or it could be literally finishing a project that might be a legacy. It could be just making a video or writing something down or passing along a recipe, anything that they want to, you know, make sure continues after their death. And then, of course, rituals and prayers. Uh, in, in the Episcopal Church, we do something that's similar to the Catholic uh, anointing of the sick. Actually, it's more similar since Vatican II. Uh, we do an anointing and a, a prayer for healing. And healing doesn't always mean cure. You know, it can, it can be about healing relationships and healing attitudes and, and things like that. And then sometimes we do some funeral planning just to think about how the person wants to be remembered and ritualized. And so when we finally, uh, to get to that point of the, the funeral in the Episcopal Church, we... Um, it's it's similar to what a lot of Americans are familiar with. We would have a, a viewing or a vigil, vigil at a funeral home, and then the burial service in the church where the body or the ashes would be present. Either is acceptable in our church. And then, of course, the the procession of cars to the cemetery, and that's where the burial service is completed at the, the site of burial. We, uh, we remember the dead and the grieving in our prayers of the people, which we have in our worship service every Sunday. And we would provide ongoing pastoral care to people by the clergy and, and a team of lay pastoral caregivers. And then on All Saints or All Souls Days, which are the first and second of November, uh, we especially remember people that we've lost in the past year. And so we would say those names. Sometimes we would have pictures of those people. And then a lot of people like to give flowers or candles in memory of their loved ones on special occasions like Christmas and Easter, anniversaries, birthdays, things like that. So um, that's just another way of kind of offering that special remembrance. Do you want me to talk about how things have been different during COVID or is that later? Yeah. Oh, no. Why, why don't you? That would be a lovely segue because I think you've given us through sharing a little bit about the hospice experience, how you work with the individual who is actually dying and helping that unknown to be less frightening by looking at remembrances, things that they want to share and um, 
by uh, what they wanted their service to look like after they have passed, it gives them a little bit of control and might ease ease their fears, what I, I'm sensing as you were sharing that story with us. So I'm wondering if some of these practices, like you know, we, when you would go to a wake or go to a funeral, you would learn more about the individual, as you as you said, because we all, unless you have known that person since day one, you join them at some point in the in their life, and what happened previous to that, you might not know about. And so it's sometimes it's it's really you you learn so much about the individual, and it blesses your experience and your friendship with them. So I'm wondering, as we go on now, as through COVID, these past 14 months, a lot of these exchanges and and some of these remembrances might not have been possible. How are you handling those and 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 taking care of people in these new circumstances? Um, so my congregation has been extremely fortunate not to have lost any members to COVID-19, but our members did lose friends and family members over the past year. And... Um, for, for quite some time, we were unable to gather for funerals. And I think it really has stunted our grieving. I think there's a lot of grieving left to do that we're, we're all going to have to catch up with at some point. But even more difficult was not being able to be with, with someone who was near death or to attend their dying, to say goodbye. And I, I experienced that with my own um, uncle who was sick for, for quite some time. And, you know, I, I went back and forth about, do I, do I take the risk of traveling to Texas to see him? Um, do I take the risk that, that I might infect him if I do that? And, you know, this was before any of us were vaccinated. And then um, when he and his wife got their first shot and I was getting my first shot, we started talking about, oh, maybe we could get together in March when we're all, you know, fully vaccinated. Unfortunately, he died in February. And uh, so I did, I did travel to Texas for the funeral. And even though I was only half vaccinated at the time, but it was a risk that I felt I had to take. And I presided at the funeral. And that would not have been my choice. I would have preferred to just been a grieving family member, but it was a gift that I gave to my aunt and cousins because they really didn't have anyone else to do the funeral. And so, you know, I've I've offered to do special memorials for people uh, who haven't been able to travel to funerals or to offer Zoom funerals and things like that. Um, I guess it hasn't been a need during this time, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, get back to some of our own, some of our familiar and comforting rituals that uh, have been unavailable to us during this time. You really spoke from the heart and so personally, and I want to thank you for sharing that with us with regard to the passing of your uncle the, the time before and um, and at the actual funeral. It's not always easy to share those things, and so we we, we thank you for that. I think you also um, uh, identified something that I think uh, a, a number of us faced in the earlier days of, of COVID for those that were dying from COVID or 
if there were other complications with regards to reaching someone in the hospital, and that was the fear of dying alone. And how I'm wondering how are congregations addressing people who are dying alone, either because family cannot travel or someone cannot get there uh, because of that, or there are um, just rules and regulations that are uh, governing social distancing. Um, uh, I open it up to um, the to the faith leaders. Is uh, would one of you like to comment? Or I will uh, on the part about dying alone. How are congregations dealing with it as well as we can? Is the answer? Um, you know, we've certainly and we've been fortunate in our congregation. None of our congregants. Uh, have, uh, uh, not, no one in our congregational community uh, uh, caught COVID seriously enough to, to produce death. No one in an extended congregational community. Um, but, you know, we certainly have had people die and people and family members, you know, uh, family of our congregants. And they, my congregants have been unable to go in and see them in person. And uh, it hurt. And all you can do is be understanding because... That that's how it had to be. I'm hoping, you know, it's starting to ease up and that's just a blessing. I know there was a, um, there was a woman uh, who had been a congregant of mine at an earlier congregation and become a friend and uh, she did die of COVID. And I know that, you know, I was able to speak a few words to her on the phone, but this was before I could see her. And it was, uh, it was hard. It's really hard. I, I want to pick up on something that uh, Reverend McAdams said, or she pointed out that it's, uh, you know, that the, the, the grieving process doesn't go away. It just gets sort of put underground a little bit. And I'm, so I, I feel very strongly that we have a tendency in our culture to not want to be sad. We don't like being sad. We don't like bad things happening. And so we pretend it doesn't, and we talk about, you know, lives instead of deaths. But death and grieving are a part of life. And, it, and it's my hope that what we do as religious leaders is help people understand that and recognize that, in fact, um, this is all a necessary component of life uh, and that we need to um, own and celebrate our grief and not run away from it. Um, Reverend Eric, how are, how is your ha a congregation um, handling these? Because everything that you share with us, your congregation comes together in so many different ways and they're, very supportive and very engaged. And this is a difficult time. How are they handling it? I, I really just want to agree with, um, with Kathy and Tom that um, we're, we're, we're not able to do this as well as we need to. It's a sad, it's a sad truth. And we're, and we're going to have to face up to that. You know, my mind goes back to the national memorial that happened a couple of months ago for people who had died from COVID and how that just touched people in, a, in, in an incredibly deep and effective way. I think a, a lot of our houses of worship rang their, their bells that, that day as, as a way of to participate in it. And um, 
that's that's important and we're going to need more of those formal times of acknowledgement and when we are able to be near each other physically to um to return to the 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 uh, the trauma of grief we're going to have to do that um and i suspect that we will i i also i also just want to note that part of what's coming up in this conversation is hopefully kind of removing the veil a little bit that um is sometimes in place uh in front of uh, religious leaders uh and their congregants and um that that um, your clergy, your religious leaders are grieving too, uh, and um, my heart goes out to to Kathy and to Tom and the griefs that they've known this year. And I've been grateful for their um, their ministry of support to me. I my um, my father died suddenly uh, just a month ago, and I haven't lost a member of my nuclear family before. Of course, I've lost any number of people that I love deeply. But um, that circumstance has um, reaffirmed for me the um, the meaning, the purpose of um, of rituals like sending um, a condolence card. You know, the hundred <laughs> condolence cards that arrived, each was a little ministry in itself, a big deal. And um, and um, the um, the other kinds of um, of connections that have I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but th those things matter, I guess, is what I want to say. And I, I always knew that I think we all know that. And I realized it in a, in a different way through this. And um, I also think with Tom and Kathy, I, I know that there's more that um, needs to happen as um, uh, the COVID restrictions change. Thank you also, um, Reverend Eric, for personally sharing your feelings of a personal and immediate loss. Uh, again, it's a very private uh, emotion and you've shared it with all of us and, and I, I thank you for that. I do wonder, uh, I think many of us throughout the community and throughout the, the world, we've all lost people. Um, people have died, close friends close family members, relatives, or, or people we've known as an acquaintance, perhaps through work or um, schooling. But we haven't gone to uh, a service. Recently, I've seen uh, some services open via Zoom so that you could join 3,000 miles away on the other coast. And I think that is... Uh, that was something that I found almost exciting. Uh, I thought, wow, finally, you know, uh, grief has been so difficult and trying to find a pathway. And yet here, a funeral that you thought that perhaps you would never be able to attend, you were able to because technology has uh, moved uh, in different directions. And do you, I'm wondering, I, I would ask uh, Rabbi Tom or Reverend, uh, Reverend Kathy, are your congregations using some of these newer platforms, are they able to find some solace in, in them and that's affecting their grief and their rituals? So I can say that uh, we have a congregant who lost a parent a few months ago. Um, and um, the 
funeral was indeed streamed and I was able to attend along with other members of the congregation. And I think it, I, it meant something to me. I think it meant something to my congregant. Uh, so yes, uh, this is, you know, this is something that uh, we are participating in and, uh, you know, who knows what will happen when we come out of COVID and how much, whether that will stay. I, I hope in many ways it does. Reverend Kathy, have you, as your congregation, been involved in any kind of distance rituals like this through technology? I, I have not done a funeral this year other than my uncle, so have not had the need to do that kind of streaming. Uh, we did stream my uncle's service so that family members who were unable to travel um, could could participate, and I think that was very meaningful for them. And I I... I hope that this is something that we will continue to do, you know, for lots of reasons people aren't able to to attend rituals. And so to uh, utilize that technology, I, I hope something will continue to do in the future. Well, I'm looking at our time and we're running out of running out of time. But before we end the conversation, is there anything that anyone wanted to say that they have not had an opportunity? Reverend Eric. Just real briefly, Pandora, it uh, crossed my mind that um, there's an example of a traditional um, ritual ministry that um, many of us have been beneficiaries of, uh, uh, of prayer shawls, you know, and that's something that FUSF has, uh, uh, has in place as well. And uh, the, the hug that a prayer shawl provides to a grieving person during COVID takes on a, a, a special kind of a meaning. And I um, just want to note that um, that those kinds of uh, of, of uh, new understandings of um, of rituals that have long histories um, is can be really beneficial too. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you for leaving us with that really positive uh, thought and visual of what goes into creating the prayer shawl the thoughtfulness, the people working, the threads that come together, and then the recipient, you know, being enveloped in it. Um, and Reverend Eric, as is our custom, we always bring the conversation to a close with a, a spiritual focus. And um, I'm wondering if you would lead us in that today. Thank you, Pandora. And as we just turn our hearts and minds to um, spiritual focus, I want to invite everyone to to center their their hearts and their breathing and to bring to mind the um, the people that they have loved and lost recently and in the year ahead and to to join me in holding their memory their image their legacy their gifts their promises to our spiritual care right now to feel their very presence among us even as they have passed on and to invite the peace that passeth all understanding to also take hold of us and to enfold us in the love that is beyond words wholly transcendent and known in all traditions by many names. And as we 
hold that care and love around us. A few words by the poet Anne Hillman. We look with uncertainty beyond the old choices for clear-cut answers to a softer, more permeable aliveness every moment at the brink of death. For something new is being born in us if we but let it. We stand at a new doorway, awaiting that which comes, daring to be human creatures, vulnerable to the beauty of existence, learning to love. My prayer, my prayer with you is that in our grief, in our living, in our loss, we are ever and always learning to love. So may it be. And amen. Thank you very much, Reverend Eric. Those are beautiful words to bring this conversation to a close and to take with us as we go throughout our day today. I'm Pandora Carlucci. I would like to thank Reverend Kathleen McAdams, Rabbi Tom Alpert, and Reverend Eric Cherry for our conversation this morning. We wish you good health and happiness.